just over five years ago, when this church began, we spent our first four Sundays working through some of the most foundational truths in the New Testament. We talked about the gospel, the church, and the mission of the church. We did that to lay down what we hoped would always be foundational here at RBC. And now five years in, I've decided to return to those foundational truths again to remind us of where we've been and to reaffirm our commitments to those same core beliefs. So a couple weeks ago, we talked first about what is of first importance, which is the gospel. Though it's true that everything in the Bible is important, not everything is of first importance. The gospel, however, is of first importance because it is the gospel that creates a church, that defines what a church is, and that sustains a church. And we focus especially in that sermon on the question, what is the gospel? We looked at the simplest, clearest explanation of that in the Bible in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 through 5, where Paul says, I delivered to you as of what was of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, in accordance with the scriptures, that Christ was buried, that Christ was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that Christ appeared to Peter, then to the twelve, and then to many more. In short, the gospel is the good news that God has come to our rescue through his son Jesus, who died on the cross as our substitute, and who was raised from the dead on the third day as Lord and Savior. And then for the last sermon that I did, and then for today's sermon as well, we've moved on to another very basic question, and that is the question, what is the church? Now, if you were here two weeks ago, you might remember how I began by giving Google's first answer to that question. Do you remember what it was? It says, the church is a building used for public Christian worship. And you might remember that I said at the time I was not a huge fan of that answer. Now, at the same time, I have to admit that this is often how we use the word church today. Uh, For example, for the first few years of our church, uh, we met at a small elementary school called Centennial Elementary School. And if you you ever were with us at at that building, it was not all that nice of a place, especially at the time we were there. Uh, Although there did happen to be a nice playground in the back. It was the best thing about the property. And since my family and I live very close to that over in east side of Richfield, we would often walk over there during the week to that playground. And we, and we still go there from time to time. And it's interesting how the kids would talk about that playground if they wanted to go there. They would often ask something like, can we go to the church playground? Even today when we drive by that building, it's common to hear one of my kids say, look, there's the old church. And it's not just the kids that do this. I do this too, and so do you most likely. For example, if you happen to forget your phone here today, like my wife did yesterday at the wedding show, uh, once you get home, you'll probably say something like, oh no, I forgot my phone at what? At the church. This is, this is how we talk. And I don't really have much of an issue about this. Okay, I'm, this is not my main point here, to be like on a crusade to change, to change this. At the same time, there is something that we always need to remember, and that is that the church is not a physical building. 
In the New Testament, the word church is used well over 100 times in the New Testament, and it never refers to a physical building. Not even one time. In the New Testament, the church refers to the people that God has rescued through Jesus. And so let's just bring that forward to where we are this morning. Here we are gathered today on a Sunday morning, beautiful day, beautiful building in the city of Richfield. Is this the church? And I think you'd have to ask me a follow-up question. Well, what do you mean by this, right? Do you mean this? It's a lot nicer than we were five years ago. Is this the church, like the building? The answer would be no. But if I say, is, is this the church, as in the people gathered today in Jesus' name? Yes. This is the church. In the New Testament, the church is not a physical building. The church is the people God has redeemed through the blood of Jesus. Now, what we began to do last time, and what we're going to do today, is to focus in on just one letter from the Apostle Paul, the one where he focuses the most on the church, and that is his letter to the Ephesians. So you can turn with me now over to Ephesians, and my hope is that in the two sermons on this topic, that we think more clearly about what the church is and what the church isn't. We're really trying to ask Paul the question, what is the church? And what Paul loves to do when he's talking about the church is he loves to use pictures or illustrations to help us understand what the church is. Yes, Paul, what's the church? Paul won't give you a long definition of what the church is. Instead, Paul will probably give you a quick illustration of what the church is. If you ask Paul, Paul, what's the church? He probably won't pull out a doctrinal statement and read you a paragraph. He'd probably say something like, you know, the church is a flock with shepherds. Or the church is the family of God. Or the church is the bride of Christ. Instead of giving definitions of the church, Paul typically paints pictures of the church. And our last time that we were together, we focused in on one of those pictures. It was the picture Paul uses the very first time he uses the word church in Ephesians. It's in chapter 1, verse 23, where Paul says that the church is Jesus' body. Jesus is the head of the church, and the church is the body of Jesus. And we spent most of the last sermon that I did looking at that picture. Now for our second study on the church, I want to look at a different picture. It's the main picture in the second chapter of Ephesians. And so you can take a look at Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 19. And we'll read this whole paragraph, verse 19 to 22. Paul says, So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Okay, now in those verses, what's the main picture of the church? What is the church? Well, one answer that you could give is in verse 19, and it's that the church is 
the household of God, or as other translation puts it, the church is God's family. And I love that picture, and I'd love to focus on that more someday. But that's not the main picture in those verses, is it? There's another picture that kind of carries throughout the text, and that is that the church is God's, what? I think you used two words, either God's temple or God's building. Okay. So you hear all the building talk in the verses? The church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus is the cornerstone of the building. The church grows into a holy temple. We are being built together into a dwelling place for God. And that's the picture I want to focus on today, that the church is God's temple or that the church is God's building. So you just put together these big ideas about the church and a building. On the one hand, the church is not a physical building. On the other hand, the church is God's building. God is building something today. He is building a place to dwell in. God is building a new temple where he can be with his people and where they can be with him. And that's the picture at the end of Ephesians 2, and I want us to look hard and think hard about that picture. So let's take another look at verse 19. Paul says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Okay, now, now, let's start here. Who is the you in that verse? You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's family. Who is that you? Now, to, to answer that, the easiest way would be to just to look at how Paul uses the word you in this chapter. So you could go back, for example, to Ephesians 2, verse 1, where Paul says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Or Ephesians 2, verse 8. Maybe you know this verse. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. So just like we saw last time, the people who make up the church, or in this picture, the people who make up the building, are people who used to be dead in their sins, but who have been saved by grace. That's who makes up the church. The church is made up of people who all share the same story. We are all sinners saved by grace. But then you read a little further. And it gets even a little more specific. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. Do you remember that time? Remember that you were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope. Do you remember days like that? And without God 
in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And Paul continues talking that way right down to our text. You look at verse 17, Ephesians 2.17. And Jesus came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. <clears throat> For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the family of God. So can you see a little more clearly who the you is? It's specifically Gentiles, like not non-Jews, people like most of us here, who used to be strangers, who used to be on the outside looking in, who had no hope, who were without God in this world. The church is made up of not just one ethnicity. It's made up of both Jews and Gentiles, and truly of people from all nations who all share the same story of being brought from death to life through faith in Jesus. Through him, we all have access in one spirit to the Father. So to summarize what we've seen so far, the church in the New Testament is not a physical building. It's the people God has rescued and united to Jesus and to each other. And that leads us into this new idea today, which is that those rescued people are God's new temple. They are God's building. Now let's take a look again at the, at the text. Nine, verse nine, starting in verse 19 again. I want to think about that picture. Okay. You are no longer strangers and aliens. You're fellow citizens with the saints, members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You see, brothers and sisters, God is building something today, <clears throat> something beautiful, but it is not a physical building. It is not a building made with human hands. God is building a temple, a place where he can live with his people and where his people can live with him. And if you're familiar with the story of the Bible, you'll know this has always been on God's heart from the very beginning. As far back as the Garden of Eden, it was clear God wanted to live with us. Then even after our rebellion in the Garden, God made ways for us to be forgiven so that we could still dwell in his presence. Whether it was in the tent, in the wilderness, or in the temple in Jerusalem, God's desire has always been to live with his people and for them to live with him. But that desire became even clearer when God actually came to live with us. When the Son of God took on human flesh and lived among us. I love how John talks about this in the Gospel of John. When he says, and the word, Jesus, became 
flesh and dwelt among us. Or as another translation says, the word became a human and made his home among us. But that's not the only thing that the Gospel of John has to say about God dwelling among us. I want to look at something in the Gospel of John that Jesus said about the temple, and I want you to connect it to this text in Ephesians. Okay, Look to the Gospel of John, chapter 2. Okay, So we're going to go back, Gospel of John, chapter 2, and I want you to hear something Jesus said about the temple. Perhaps you'll remember this story from Jesus' life. It's the one where Jesus goes into the temple in Jerusalem, like that physical structure, and he sees all the greed of all these people who are trying to make money in the temple. And he gets really angry, and he flips over their tables, and he chases them all out of the temple. John, the writer, actually says later on, this reminded them of this verse, zeal for your house has consumed me. Well, anyway, after Jesus does this, the Jews ask Jesus for a sign of, like, what what gives you the authority to do that kind of stuff in the temple? This is Jesus' response. John chapter 2, verse 19. Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days... I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it's taken 46 years to build this temple. And will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. Now, there's a lot that can be said about that. But can you sense what Jesus is doing? He's redefining the temple, the place where people are going to meet with God and where God is going to meet with the people. That physical temple in Jerusalem has become a hideout for robbers. And Jesus will often predict it's coming down, and it did come down. But in its place, God would build a new temple, a new place where forgiven people could meet with God. And that new temple would be Jesus' body. Jesus' enemies would kill him. They would destroy this temple, Jesus says. But on the third day, that temple would be rebuilt. Jesus would rise from the dead. And from that point on, both Jews and Gentiles, those near and far, would come to Jesus, be united to Jesus, and they would gain access to God through Jesus. Jesus' body would become God's new temple. And here's where I want to go back to Ephesians. The picture of the church that we looked at last time is that the church is Jesus' body. And today, what we're seeing in chapter 2, is that Jesus' body, the church, is God's new temple. The church is, more than any other place on earth, the place where God meets with his people, where God dwells with them, and where those people can meet with God. 
Okay, that's some of the background, I think, for the picture Paul's painting. But now let's look at the parts of the building. And the kids have some coloring sheets and stuff that goes through this, these parts. Okay, look at verse 20. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. So we're back in Ephesians. Ephesians 2, 20. God's family is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. Okay, so let's start there. What's the most foundational piece of the building project? Jesus is the cornerstone of God's new temple. The cornerstone is the most important stone in the foundation. It's the stone that ties everything else in the building together. And in a, in a big building, at this time especially, this stone was often gigantic. In Jerusalem, for example, archaeologists have found five huge stones that form the foundation of the Jerusalem temple. I mean, think of this. The largest stone that they found was over 50 feet long, 11 feet high, 14 feet wide. They estimate that it weighs 570 tons, which I had to do a little calculating. That's over a million pounds. One of the five stones that formed the foundation. But this emphasis on Jesus as the cornerstone isn't just about architecture, like an observation. Jesus himself called himself the cornerstone. So this, this is not just Paul, like, creating a picture in his mind that's helpful for us. Jesus actually called himself the cornerstone. That's where Paul gets the picture. Do you remember this? Jesus said in Matthew, have you never read in the scriptures that the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Jesus is the one and only cornerstone. And if you look at how that stone stuff is used in the New Testament, if, if you build your life on that stone, if you rest on Jesus, you will be saved. But if you reject him, the stone that could have saved you will be the very stone that leads to your ruin. This is how it's used in the New Testament. And here in Ephesians, God is building a new temple. The cornerstone of that temple is Jesus. Now look again at the picture. God's family is built then on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. So you have the cornerstone, and then you have the foundation are the apostles and prophets. The apostles like Peter, John, Paul, and the prophets, including, I think, both Old Testament and New Testament, are the foundation of God's building. So think about that. In God's new temple, the words of the apostles and the prophets form the foundation of what God wants to build today. See, it's texts like this that lead us as a church to value the Bible the way that we do. As we say in our vision statement as a church, we long to be a church that is word-driven, where no other influence is more central 
to our lives than the Bible. It's texts like this that tell us this is God's vision for the church. See, the church really isn't the place to go to to hear some cool new thing every week or to hear a good speaker's opinion on current events or to get some catchy slogans to live by. The foundation of the new temple that God is building is the apostles and the prophets. And we gain access to them through their words, which are written in the Bible. This means that the church needs to always be coming back to the text. We want the Bible to shape and reshape who we are, how we think, how we live. Now we come to the last part of the building picture. Because today's text isn't just about Christ and then the apostles and the prophets. There's one more group in the picture. Look at verse 20 again. God's family is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. What's the last part of the building picture? Who is it about? It is about us. Okay. We are the structure of the new temple that God is building. Okay. We are like what is above ground, invisible, if you will. Okay. We're, it's the people that God is saving that are the, the things you can see, the above ground part of the temple. The structure, the building. Or as Peter says, in 1 Peter, he uses the same picture. He says, this building is made up of living stones that are being put together and built on the cornerstone. Okay. You see, we are part of something bigger than ourselves. God is gathering new stones, one by one, for his new temple. And God is joining those new stones together to each other and to Jesus, the cornerstone. We are part of the building that God is building. We are part of the new temple that God is still growing. We are the place where God wants to dwell. This is an amazing picture. To think of even of back to what we read in First, in first Kings. They built this temple, and they put all this work into it, and then there was this dedication day. It was like the most greatest day of their lives, probably, to dedicate that temple. And then for God to fill that temple with his glory. And in the New Testament, the temple is the people of God, the body of Jesus. God fills us up with his own presence or as Paul says, with his fullness. We are the place where God wants to dwell, and we don't deserve that. But this building in the picture is very different than a mere physical building. Why? It's because the parts of this building are alive. I mean, when is the last time you looked at a building and said, 
look at that building. It's growing. I've been seeing construction projects all over Richfield. I have not said that about any of them. But that's what Paul does here. The building is growing into a holy temple for the Lord. And this leads me to my last question for today about this picture, and that's the question, how does the building grow? Because the building in the picture grows. (laughs) How does it grow? One way, the building grows when new stones are added to the building project. Now, I'll be honest, this is not the emphasis in Ephesians. It's more of an implication. But one of the ways the building grows is by adding new stones. What do I mean by that? Are you following the picture? The building grows when we, the living stones, share the gospel with dead stones. Or to put it more plainly, the church grows when we share the gospel with those who are still dead in their sins in the hope that God will do for them what he's already done for us. The building grows when God breathes new life into the dead, unites them to the cornerstone, and adds them into the new temple that he's building. But that's not really the emphasis in Ephesians. For that, look instead at Ephesians chapter 4 and look at verse 11. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. This is more of where Paul goes with the building stuff. Ephesians 4.11 says, And Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. You see the building up language? How does the body get built up? Or how does the building grow? The building grows, or the body is built, when the shepherds of the flock do their job faithfully. That's one way. Christ gifts the church with shepherds who build up the people and who help the people also learn how to build. How do the shepherds or pastors do that? They do that by teaching God's word faithfully week in and week out, by praying for God's people, and by showing God's people how to build and how to live. So pray for your pastors that we might do God's work God's way. Pray even for God to add more to our number as the church grows. But I don't want to stop there in verse 12. Because there's at least one more key way that the building grows. Look down to verse 15. Ephesians 4, verse 15. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And here's where everything comes together from the last two sermons. Paul ties the picture of the church as a body 
to the picture of the church as a building. How does the body get built? Or how does the building grow? Paul like ties the pictures together. The building grows or the body is built when all the people participate in the building project. And how is it that all of us contribute to the project? How do we all contribute to each other's growth? There are lots of ways, but one way Paul highlights is through our words. In verse 15, it's by speaking the truth to each other in love. And then look finally at Ephesians 4, verse 29. Ephesians 4, verse 29. Let no corrupting talk or unwholesome speech come out of your mouth, but only what's good for building up, as fits the occasion, so it may give grace to those who hear. In every relationship, in every conversation, may the desire of our heart be to build and never to tear down what God wants to build. You see, in a healthy church, the shepherds equip the people to do the ministry to each other. And when all the parts are working the right way, what happens? The whole body is built, or the building grows. Now, there's a lot more that could be said about these things than what I have in the last two sermons. But I hope, if nothing else, that I've shared enough to deepen your love for the church and to see its value to God. The church is the body of Jesus. It is the temple of the living God. The church is the one place on earth that God fills up with his fullness. Despite all of its shortcomings and failures, of which there are many, the church is beautiful. Not because we're so lovely, but because we are so loved by God. Do we look at the church that way? Do our lives back up what we say about the church? May we grow to cherish the church like Jesus cherishes the church. Let's pray. Father, thank you for how you love us, for what you're doing, that your eyes are on us. Lord, we don't deserve any of the things we've been talking about to be part of your people, of the temple that you are building, to be a part, a member of Jesus' body that is loved and cherished. Lord, we don't deserve this. But I pray that you will stir us with greater love for the church, that you will help us to give our lives to the church, to seek always to build, never to tear down what you want to build. And Lord, I pray that even in 
line with these pictures that we've seen, that you would add more parts to the body, more, more stones to the project, that you would breathe life into the dead through the gospel, that you would build this church and, and all the churches around us that preach the gospel. Lord, may you bless and grow your people, that we might reflect you to the world, even as we heard in this psalm this morning. May you be gracious to us and bless us and make your face shine on us so that your saving power may be known among all the nations. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.